So we're going to be reading Psalm 126. Um, so I'll just give you a moment to find it in your Bibles or on your phones. Um, I think it actually got handed round for the service as well, so be on that sheet. And I'm going to read from the NIV. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Amen. Nice to have these these Bibles back in the pews. Amen. Um, so we can use them. Um, we had something lovely this morning, which was to celebrate those who've been working during the pandemic. Um, and I'd like to do the same thing tonight. So if you know the Islamic, Islamic? Icelandic clap <laughs> that goes like this, we're going to, um, we're going to clap for uh, various people who've been working hard, key workers particularly, um, during the pandemic, and we'll start with NHS and social care. Stand up if you have been working in NHS and social care. <laughs> teachers, anyone teachers? Ed anyone in education? Stay standing, everybody. Anyone in the hospitality sector, serving food, working in supermarkets? Police, other emergency services? Stand up if you have your own business. Stand up if you had been furloughed during the pandemic. And who have I forgotten? Stand up, everybody else. Okay. Yeah, seriously, it's been a, it's been a tough time for many of you. And um, we're, we're thinking today about, this evening, about sowing in tears and, and reaping with joy. And, you know, working a nine-to-five or other shifts um, that you may work... Um, it's hard, and you are sowing, and being a Christian employee or a Christian employer, you are sowing. Often you're sowing in tears. Um, this psalm reminds us that those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. And I'd really like to focus on that sentence this evening, but of course it's in the, the context of Psalm 126, which we'll look at. Um, if you don't know me, my name's uh, Chris Webb. I'm a recovering sinner, um, and my wife is uh, bossing the fantasy Premier League that some of you are in. She's top of that. She knows how to make wise selections. Um, but she is, um, she is, uh, she's been on the motorway today, taking my eldest son to university. It's been quite an emotional day. Um, I didn't even say goodbye to him this morning, because the son of the gun was in the, the shower. 
Um, and uh, I, I didn't say goodbye, but I need to phone him tonight. But there was all sorts of things going on today. Uh, uh, two boys were playing football, um, being picked up, taken to Winchester. Um, Joe's not back yet. Um, so if I seem a little bit kind of disoriented, there are all sorts of things going on. Lois finished a shift at Pizza Hut. Uh, has come to church tonight, which is lovely. Um, so, uh, and... and we were up late last night watching Emma Raducanu, um, which, was, which was fantastic. But this is, a, this is a great psalm for us to get under the skin of today. It's called, uh, you'll see there, A Song of Ascents. So it would have been sung by worshipping Jews going up to Jerusalem, uh, to the temple. And on their way as pilgrims, they would have sung these psalms of ascent. Psalms of Ascent are meant to be read in threes, in triplets. And um, this tearful prayer, restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev, um, actually goes with Psalm 127 and 128. In Psalm 127, the restoration that, that we seek cannot be done by ourselves. It can't be worked up um, unless the Lord builds the house. We labor in vain that build it. Unless the Lord watches the city, we, we watch in vain. This restore our fortunes, Lord, it can only be done by the Lord. And then Psalm 128 attributes all the blessings and all the, the restorative work to, to God. So um, the, the Psalms really go deep into the motives of the heart the Psalms have always been the prayer book for God's people. The Psalms were constantly on Jesus' lips right until the moment that he died. And they give us a third way with our emotions, with our feelings, a third way between the religious and the secular. Religious people are often uncomfortable with feelings and tend to stuff their feelings but secular people say that discovering and expressing and bowing to your feelings is a good in and of itself. But really, the, the gospel would say, well, bowing to your feelings or stuffing them isn't the best way. The Psalms present a third way, which is to pray, to come into the presence of God, that safe place with your anger, with your lament, with your frustration, with your impatience with your joy, with everything, um, and, to, and to pray your feelings. So last week, John was talking on Psalm 30. Uh, this week, we're going to look at Psalm 126, um, and, and particularly the second half of it. And Tim Keller, the preacher, gives us three very useful comments about sowing in tears. Um, he says that we are to expect tears, we're to invest our tears and we're to pray our tears, which I think are three very good headings that we'll use now. Let's have a look at the, the psalm together on page 623. Uh, it starts off like this. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed or like those restored to health. Our mouths were filled with laughter our tongues with songs of joy. And it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we're filled with joy. And so we're not sure um, when 
this was, whether the, the, the writers of this psalm are rejoicing in the return from exile in Babylon. God's people were taken into a strange land. They were asked to sing the songs of Zion there. It was 70 years of captivity. And, uh, you know, many commentators say, well, it, it, it could well be that there was a, a time where they came back and uh, there was a celebration. God seemed to do abundantly more than they could ask or imagine. All their dreams had come true. But then we've got verse 4. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Things are not so joyful anymore. The Negev is a desert, a barren, terrible desert. And so we're not sure if a, a famine or a crushing military defeat or even a plague had um, inflicted the people, but their lives were like a desert, parched, dry, barren, afflicted, stricken. Now here is a Christian myth, and it goes like this. If I'm a good little Christian, God won't let bad things happen to me. That's a myth. And we know that because when you go through the Psalms, when you read the Psalms, you'll see that so many of them are Psalms of lament, of expressing sometimes pre-reflective outbursts of sorrow uh, to God. Some are very dark indeed. If you read Psalm 88 or Psalm 39, there is, there is nothing, no hope in them. Psalm 39 ends with, God, this is all too much for me. Will you lay off me? Will you go away? Psalm 88 is similar. We have a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations, which uh, there's a lament for every letter of the Hebrew alphabet. That's called an acrostic lament. Jeremiah, uh, who is known as the weeping prophet in Jeremiah chapter 9, uh, prays this, Oh, that my head were a spring of water, Oh, that my eyes were fountains of tears. I would weep day and night for my people. I, on the other hand, I am surprised when bad things happen to me, when I suffer. I somehow think that I'm entitled to an easy life and a good life. But I live in a broken world. And the older I get the more I realize how broken our world is. Our institutions, even the things that we celebrate, our schools, our, our police, our uh, NHS, there is brokenness within them because people are broken. And I am so broken. And therefore, I should expect tears. And as I mature in the Christian life, as I go on, as I get older, I'm going to weep more and more. As I become a more mature Christian after God's own heart, hopefully, I'm going to weep more and more. I say this because once there was a perfect heart that walked this earth, and one thing we know, he's described in the prophet, by the prophet Isaiah as a man of sorrows and acquainted with suffering and grief. Jesus was often crying. He walked pretty well with God, did he not? But we can't say that, that nothing bad happened to him. And so we are to expect tears individually and as a community. And that's just 
what we have experienced over the last 18 months. Um, I found that period from, from January to March, the worst of all, you know, uh, ha having the kids uh, homeschooled, the, the, the internet was slow, everything was on a screen, we weren't getting enough exercise, we were even more grumpy than normal, relationships were difficult. Um, and we know that nationally and internationally, we now have a, a, a mental health epidemic, anxiety at unprecedented levels. Um, it has been tough. It's been tough for families. It's been tough for parents. It's been tough for youth and children. It's been tough if you're on your own. It's been tough if you've been shielding. Um, it's been tough for very, very many people, very turbulent. And it's it seems like everything's changing all the time. We get used to, to something and then things change again. But when I read a psalm like this, and when I have a heading like this, expect tears, I need to remind myself, actually, seasons like this are, are not that unnatural. <laughs> things are not always going to go well. I need to expect tears because I am broken. You are broken. Our institutions are broken. We live in a broken world. And Henry Nouwen, the theologian, said, the, the degree to which I can grieve is related to, to the degree to which I'm able to offer compassion to others. We see the Apostle Paul say something similar, don't we, in 2 Corinthians, where he really pours out his heart about his life and his ministry and the afflictions that, that he's gone through. And he says, well, we're able to offer compassion to others because we receive compassion from God in our tough times. So I'm to expect tears. But I need to learn to invest my tears. See how the poetry uh, is formed in verses 5 and 6. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. And those who go out weeping carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy. We need to learn to plant our tears, to sow our tears. Religious people tend to stuff our feelings. I've known lots of people, um, you say, how are you? Fine, fine, fine. And you know, things are definitely not fine. Um, but, but we stuff our feelings. Sometimes you hear of someone who's just blown it and had an affair and Everything's blown up in their life. Often that was preceded by a time of repressing and stuffing emotions, and it's just exploded out in totally inappropriate ways. Secular people, on the other hand, are, are encouraged to give vent to their emotions, to go with their emotions. But here it's said that, that our tears are an opportunity for growth, we, we pray as a leadership uh, team on Thursday mornings. And the other Thursday morning, John read out John chapter 15. I am the vine. Um, you are the branches. And, and every branch that is to bear fruit is pruned. A, a passage about pruning. And what we've been through as, as a nation and as churches, and certainly above bar church, is a period of pruning. You know, people have, people have decided to move on. People have struggled to, to be in a, a rhythm of worshiping God corporately, individually. It's been a tough time. 
Not all leaving is bad, of course. Um, God opens up new opportunities. Um, and pruning is to affect growth. That's the intention of pruning. You don't prune your plant because you're, you're feeling that this plant needs punishing uh, or you're being malicious to the plant. You, you prune the plant to, to affect beauty and, and growth, and so it is with God. Now, here the image isn't pruning, it's, it's sowing. But the same principle uh, comes into play, that sowing is hard and it's to affect growth. Especially when you think of sowing as discipling others, as living the Christian life, as parenting, as praying, as being a, a Christian in the workplace, working shifts, working nine to five. But here we're encouraged to remember perspective that there will be a harvest from Zion sowing, a harvest of joy. Tears don't just give way to joy, they actually produce joy. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 17, Paul compares the glory to come and our afflictions now. And he says, our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us, or they're working for us, or they're achieving for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Next verse is good too. It says, therefore, fix your eyes on what is unseen, not on what is seen. The kind of joy that you and I need is produced. Look at what it says that they produce, is produced by tears. There's a kind of joy that will want to exclude tears. Ho, 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 to the bottle I go. But it's a fake joy, a false joy. True joy is the product of tears, is the product of, the gro of, of pruning very often. Lanre, one of our elders here, uh, speaks Yoruba, that's his native tongue. And he shared with us also in a prayer meeting that there's a saying, a proverb in Yoruba, which I can't say, but translated as something like, when you cry, you can still open your eyes and see. How do we do that? How do we open our eyes and see when we're weeping? Well, it's by investing our tears and praying our tears. And, and praying our tears is really how we do invest our tears. Because praying my tears transforms me and the tears. A few years ago, I wept a great deal. I, I went through a year, really, of, of humiliation. Um, some of my closest friendships uh, collapsed and there were irreconcilable disagreements and some of my relationships fell apart and it was extremely painful and it was hard to read the Bible, it was hard to pray. What did I do? I went to the Psalms again and again because the Psalms, it's not so much that they spoke to me but they spoke for me and they were all I could digest and regurgitate at the, at the time. I, I turned often to Psalm 77. It's kind of an obscure psalm. You might not know it, but I'll read you a few verses from it that are very meaningful to me. Listen, 
I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord, and at night, I didn't sleep very well. I stretched out untiring hands, and I wouldn't be comforted. And I remembered you, God, and I groaned, and I mesitated, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing, and I was too troubled to speak. And I thought about former days, years of long ago, and I remembered my songs in the night, and my heart meditated, and my spirit asked, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? And then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. You've got both unreflective outbursts and then reflective him speaking to himself, like in Psalm 42, why are you downcast on my soul? Why are you discouraged within me? Hope in God, speaking to himself. For me, I have to say that um, God did lift me out of the miry pit. And one of the darkest Psalms is Psalm 39. It ends with, get away from me, God. I've had enough. But then Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he heard my cry and he delivered me from the miry pit, and he put a new song in my mouth, and many will see this and put their trust in God. And God did that for me, and I'll never forget it. But there are many psalms to go to when we feel discouraged, when the ground is dry. And Psalm 126 is a, is a very short one that I've chosen tonight because of its brevity, and really because of the, the prayer Restore our fortunes, Lord. I want to pray that tonight uh, at Above Bar Church, where it's been a difficult season for us, and um, we feel the loss of people that have moved on, that God has opened up new opportunities for, in the staff, in the congregation. But I want to pray tonight, restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. And I'm reminded through these verses that Zion is a harvest, which is sown in tears and reaped in joy. I don't know if you, like me, sometimes you feel like running away. That tendency to run away um, is in my family genes. <laughs> on the flight or fight spectrum, I'm much more on the flight, just like my four mothers and forefathers. And sometimes I pray Psalm 55, verse 6, Oh, that I had the wings of a dove, and I would fly away, and I'd be at rest, and I would flee far away, get away from here, and I would stay in the desert, and I would hurry to my place of shelter far from the tempest and the storm. If you're an introvert, that's a good, that speaks for you as well as to you. But we can bring that to him, because God's presence is a safe place. Derek Kidner, the Bible commentator, says something lovely when he says, God knows how we speak when we're desperate. He knows how we speak when we're desperate. How? How comes? Why is he so understanding? Why does he, why does he receive 
pre-reflective outbursts. Why does he hear the cry of dereliction and still come to us in compassion, even when the writer of Psalm 39 says, get away from me, God, I've had enough. How? Well, it's because of the good news that we call the gospel. In the gospel, God has come into this world as a man of sorrows. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before he died, he sweat, as it were, drops of blood, and he cried out, my soul is sorrowful even to the point of death. And the reason why he's able to keep coming to us, even when we sometimes tell him to go away, is that when Jesus said, God, where are you? My God, my God, where are you? God turned away from him because our sin was laid on him. Jesus said to God, where are you? And God turned away so that he will never turn away from us, even when we tell him to. He will still come to us. And Jesus's tears produced the joy of our welcome into the presence of God. And so what we need to do is we need to plant our tears and sow them into this vision of the cross and the resurrection, which gives us perspective. There's some weeping which isn't good, which I do sometimes. Weeping in self-pity. Weeping in self-pity will make us into somebody who's incredibly touchy and maybe insensitive to others and who tends to catastrophize everything. And it's difficult to be around someone like that. And I've been like that at times when I'm tired, prone to catastrophizing. I thought that Emma wasn't going to win last night, you know. But we need a vision of the cross and the empty grave which brings perspective. So how do I do that? What do I, what do, I do when, I'm, when I'm so, so sad? I look at the cross again and I realize Jesus has suffered for me and borne a weight that he will never require me to bear. And because of that, in comparison, my, my troubles are light and momentary. The cross gives me that perspective, and they are producing for me a glory which outweighs them all. Sometimes my tears are tears of impatience. What is going on? I don't understand this. God, what is happening? I need to look at the cross again when I can't figure out what is going on, like many times in this pandemic, I need to look at the cross again and remember the disciples didn't get it either. They didn't have a clue what was going on. When the two disciples walking away from Jerusalem on the road to Emmaus, they, they expressed, you know, we thought he was the redeemer of Israel. We don't understand. The, the, the Romans killed him. It seems as if it's all over. But God had a plan. The cross the dereliction of the cross was at the center of that plan. The exiles in, in, in Babylon that were, were taken away and the temple was set on fire and the city was destroyed must have been thinking, what, what is happening? But, but through Jeremiah, God sent this words to them. Um, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And I believe he says the same thing to us because it corroborates with, with this psalm and with other psalms that we are to plant our tears in the assurance of glory. 
Look at the last verse again. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, might return with songs of joy. No, it doesn't say that. It says, will return with songs of joy. Eugene Peterson, who writes about the Psalms, who's uh, very contemplative, he says, all true prayer pursued far enough, it will result in praise. Because look at how the book of the Psalms progresses. The last five Psalms, 145 to 150, are hallelujahs. And all creation is resounding. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And he says, we don't get there quickly. It may take years for our prayers to result in the hallelujahs of Psalm 150. But we will get there because those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. So I don't know about you. If you feel in a parched Negev, maybe in your spiritual life, maybe... You realize this evening, man, I have wondered. I've not given much time or thought to God, and I see the implications of that in my life. And I've been struggling. And maybe subconsciously you are grieving, and grief is very like fear. We, we, we think things are never going to get better. But if we know that all prayer is going to end in praise, it frees us to weep and it frees us to hope. And it frees us to weep on our own and it frees us to weep with others. It frees us to hope alone and it it frees us to hope with others. Our tears will produce songs of joy. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for tears. And if we need to cry tonight, Lord, may the tears flow. Thank you that we're able to express our emotions. But Lord, please help us to take them to the safe place, which is your presence. Help us learn to invest them and then reap sheaves of joy. Amen.